0: This is the Oklahoma Talking Company.
1: Welcome to the show, my friend.
0: Thanks for coming around right again. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen.
1: We are
0: tonight's entertainment. Welcome to the OKC Show. I'm your host, Jason Baffrey. It is another beautiful day in Oklahoma, and we have uh, interesting subject matter to discuss on this particular program. But before we get into that, I want to give a little introduction to our guest today. Tracy Walton and Brittany Matlock are with us on the OKC Show this week. And uh, if you don't recognize them by name, you'll certainly recognize their establishment. They are the founders and proprietors of Plenty Mercantile, located on Broadway on Automobile Alley in downtown Oklahoma City. And if you haven't been into Plenty Mercantile, you need to go because it is absolutely one of the coolest stores in the Oklahoma City area. Um a little bit of everything in there, and uh, they started this store and have grown it, and it is, uh, like I said, a great place to shop. They have the rooftop where they have events, and I've been fortunate enough to attend some events there, and uh, go check it out if you haven't been there, but uh, Tracy and Brittany, welcome to the OKC Show.
2: Thank you. It's great Great to be here. here. Okay. Yeah. Jinx. Sorry, yeah. yeah, there we go. Mother, daughter, uh, you that can happens. Tell. Yep. <laughs>
0: um, just quickly, let's talk about the store a little bit. Um, tell tell us how you came about uh, in founding Plenty Mercantile.
1: Well, it was kind of the perfect storm. So you you nailed it when you said we carry a little bit of everything. Um, but I studied sustainability and entrepreneurship at Oklahoma State. And our go pokes, yep, uh, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, and our partner Chris has a branding firm, and we were family friends. And my mom has an aesthetic and a heart like no one else. So that's definitely part of part of the store, and it's a culmination of all three of us. Um, I'm in my 20s, and Chris is in his 30s, and we're gonna <laughs> say Tracy's still in her 40s, but I just turned. 50. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that gives us a really you know, a broad range of experience and um, even comes down to what appeals to our generations in terms of price point. So we ha- do have a little bit of everything. But um, the name Plenty is, I think, a great, it, it's completely fitting and we didn't really know how we were going to grow into into that name. I feel like we've kind of started to fill it out a little bit, but um, we didn't really know what we wanted to do at first. We knew we wanted to do something good, And we knew we wanted to have gatherings. And we knew uh, there were some great products out there with people making, doing it the right way. So we started Plenty. And so everything in our store is either handmade or made in America or uh, upcycled or salvaged or reclaimed material. And ideally, you wouldn't know that when you walk in because they're just so...
0: So cool. Wonderfully created, yeah. yeah. And, and you mentioned the name. The name Plenty is was not based on because you carry plenty of stuff. It's Quite based opposite. on the feeling that you get when you come in. And, and Tracy, I, were you behind that?
2: I was. Actually, Brittany came up with the the name, and we were throwing it around. And then, of course, we came up with the, the scripture in Philippians. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty And then that was it for
1: us. And we, I saw it actually when I was in high school on the binding of this great cookbook that we now carry. And, you know, and it seemed like, Something it seemed fitting for whatever it is we were gonna do. Like I said, we didn't entirely know at first. But yeah.
0: <laughs> so, in case you missed it in in all of that, uh, Tracy is Brittany's mom, and so it's a mother mother daughter team. And uh, you guys have been together, worked together, created this business together. And uh, how is that? How is the the mother daughter vibe going into business? <laughs> <You got this.
1: laughs>
2: and, um. You know, there's always worry about that and how it's going to affect your relationship and seeing each other every day. And um, Brittany's a professional, and we, I think, complement each other, and I have a great respect for her, and um, I think she does for me as well and everybody that works there. And I mean, we have our moments, but um, I don't think that it's ever affected our business or our relationship. I think, it, I think we're better because of it, and we're stronger together.
1: We knew going into this that if the year of 2011 didn't break us, nothing was going to break us. And we went into it, we actually said nothing is getting between us. Nothing's worth that. So um, I'm not sure how she does it, but she treats me completely as a partner. And I know that that's got to be hard to put the daughter part aside, Um, but she completely respects me and I so respect her. Well, that's because you earn it.
0: I mean, that's... Yeah. Um, you guys, I mean, I haven't known you long, but I've had the occasion to to meet you and be around you just a little bit. And, and you are both uh, extremely inspirational just in the way that you uh, you are with each other, the way you are with people, the way you conduct your business. So it's really, uh, it's an honor to be able to have you in and be able to talk to you.
2: Uh-huh. Thank you.
0: That's
1: so sweet. Oh. <laughs> we feel <laughs> wow. the same way about you. Well, oh exactly. well, thank you very
0: much. Um they're they're blushing and now I'm blushing now. <laughs> so. um we could do an entire show on Plenty Mercantile, I think, because it's just such a great place and what you guys do with it. But I wanna get into your your story a little bit. And it was um, Few years ago, and Brittany was 22, and and your lives dramatically changed, um, kind of on a dime, from from the way you explain it. So uh, exactly, tell yep. me about it.
1: Well, I was like he said, 22. Um, it was the summer of my 22nd birthday, and I had just had a great fourth year at Oklahoma State. Um, I was president of ECO OSU and helped with a lead certification of the student union. And I just felt on fire. I had a 4.0 and two job offers. And I thought I was, you know, I deserved to celebrate and I was excited. Uh, so that finals week, I, well, what we can see now having some space and some time away from the whole experience, we can see that that week I went out four nights in a row Obviously, I was drinking, and I was excusing that because, you know, I'm in college, and I deserve this, and I wasn't sleeping, and then that Sunday of finals week is when they saw a marked change in me, and again, I just thought I was excited, and my parents drug tested me because the only thing they could associate with it was drug use, so.
0: But it wasn't drug use that that they found, and and it didn't come until later that you found out that you suffered from bipolar disorder and uh, other terminology, older terminology for that for, for people that may not be familiar is uh, uh, manic depression and so as I understand it and you guys can speak more to this but you have manic episodes which are the ultimate high, euphoric high to depressive episodes and, and – uh, I think a lot of people understand what depression is and right. uh, there's some deep depression but bipolar disorder takes both of those things and you go back and forth and so you started with what sounds like a, a manic episode or at least got turned into that.
1: So actually what we've what we've learned we've learned so much about this disease and it's it's just it's mind-boggling how your brain works and how your brain is an organ and um we've just we've loved learning more about it but i actually like a big a big percentage of high school and college girls suffered from depression first it wasn't major but it was enough to try medicine and you know you can't tell if that person's going to be if they're going to have bipolar if they've only been depressed so it usually manifests in women with depression first and then Two years later, um, over that summer, it took about three months, I escalated and uh, it reached the point of an acute manic attack, um, which is if you have an acute manic attack, that defines you as bipolar 1. So bipolar 1 diagnosis, you'll experience mania and more so mania than depression, and you'll experience that acute mania, which is psychosis, where you lose touch with reality. Two is more depression, more major depression, and they will experience bouts of hypomania, which is the revving up stage. So I was hypomanic for about two months, and then something changed again, and it went into full-blown mania.
2: You know, and, and it happens too. I mean, bipolar traditionally triggers, and, and it is a genetic, I mean, it's lying dormant. So it has to be triggered by something, what that is, stress, illicit drug use, there's a multitude of things that can that can trigger it. With Brittany, she triggered into to mania. And it was such a departure from what she was and had always been to us and everyone around her, that it, you know, we know, we noticed it. This disease strikes or triggers at a time when they're separating themselves from their family and between the at ages a, of
1: eighteen and twenty-four,
2: right? Which is, which are the college years? Mm-hmm. So you you know your whole life you you're raising them to go out and be on their own, and they're changing, and it's at an awkward time where you're not there with them all the time, and it makes it difficult to to diagnose. But luckily. In true Brittany fashion, she had all the seven signs of bipolar right off the bat. And my husband's a physician, and I think that helped us diagnose her early. And I think one of the most important things with bipolar disease is that the earlier you catch it, the better the prognosis. And I have no doubt that that's aided us. In-
1: and you had mentioned in your explanation of bipolar that what's common pool of thought is that you... you- shift back and forth between depression and mania quickly but on the whole that quick change only happens if you let it develop and it's less likely to get to that point if it stopped early and the reason that it's so hard to get people to realize it and then admit it it's it's not really like an admission at least it wasn't for me it was like a realization because your brain Your brain controls you. And the first thing that changes in your brain when you start experiencing mania is your self-awareness. So like I said, I was just – I thought I was just celebrating. And then my confidence started growing and I – it escalated to where people were prettier and colors were brighter and smells were better. And that's something that you don't – you feel like it's a God-given gift. I wasn't doing anything to make these – wonderful things happen. So I was mad at anyone that was trying to take it away from me. And I think, I think it's important to, to,
2: to note that it is a physiological change in the way that your brain works. It's not a attitude change. It's not a behavior change. It's a behavior change. in because your brain is malfunctioning. I mean, it is a physiological change in the way that your brain makes connections.
0: Tracy, How, because you were separated, she was at OSU at the time, how did you determine what were some of the clues that you received to let you know something was going on?
2: Well, initially it was the um, being up. I mean, and not just, uh, you know, I'm excited, I'm happy, I'm having a great day. It is a recognizable, pressured speech, I got to get this out, interrupting you and wanting to talk and... And being agitated if you're not listening to them. I mean, it was a marked change. And and as Brittany said, the only thing that we could relate it to in our experience was drug use. I mean, her appearance was changing. She had this anxiety of, I have to get all this stuff done. I have to get all of this stuff done. The campus depends on me. Everybody depends on me. And it was such a a pressure. And she looked different. I mean, there was... How so? Her, well, one one of the first signs of... Any mental illness is lack of hygiene. So my daughter, who used to line, you know, beauty products up in her her bathroom, went to, you know, frazzled, dirty hair, dirt underneath her fingernails, which was such a departure for her. But that is the most common first sign of somebody that's in distress is is hygiene, and that was exactly the first sign with her. And we thought, okay, well, something's something's not right, and she's agitated, and uh, one of the symptoms of bipolar is heightened sexuality. So she started dressing and, you know, low cut shirts and things that were just totally out of nature for
1: her. And that's a, I mean, that's a sign of mental illness. So, and all of the, the symptoms kind of feed off of each other. So since I, my excitement about the world was increased, so people became more interesting. Therefore, I became more interesting because I was inquisitive and I, You know, and when you're when you have that confidence, people are attracted to you and they would say, you know, you're just so interesting. And that would just further inflate my my thoughts on myself. But that person didn't know me outside of that, you know, that thirty minute conversation. They didn't have anything to compare me to. So you're yeah, you 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 feel more confident and then people are tricked and attracted to attracted to that.
2: And bipolar affects that part of your brain where your inhibitions are where your boundaries are when I mean you don't have you' you're not afraid of anything which is which makes you reckless and dangerous to yourself and
0: Brittany you and mentioned it. seeing colors more brightly and I mean can you describe a little more to to help us understand what what that was like what you were seeing at that time
1: yes I could try it's um it's an addicting feeling and if I had ever taken drugs I'm like that's what it's like so people are I met I met people or I was reintroduced to people after that period and I didn't recognize them because when I saw them when I was manic they looked different to me and everything was just like alive
0: is it like they were glowing like when when you hear talk about an aura anything like that or was it something completely different
1: Yeah, it was. And my interest in everything spiked. So I like, and I, it it got to a point where all of my priorities were the same and I couldn't prioritize anything. So like she's talked about the hygiene, like found the other day, I found a to-do list from then. And it was like, Oh, I'd like to see that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It, It was, it was like shower brush your teeth. I had to write these things down and prepare my dance to give at graduation. I thought I was going to be dancing at, on the stage at, the, at graduation. It just, you become so inflated that you think, and you can't tell the difference between priorities. It's and that's another part of bipolar, grandiose thoughts and
0: yeah, and I was going to ask about that. I mean, part of the the psychosis involved with uh, bipolar one, as I understand, is um, the delusions of grandeur. I mean, oh, exactly. how how grand did that get? I mean, from what I understand, people start thinking they're other people, they're kings and queens, and and things like that. Did can you explain a little bit how that came about?
1: Yeah, I can tell you how it happened to me. <laughs> so, the first hospital that I went to was the first week that I was back at school and my delusions then were that I had a 12 year old boy living inside of me and that there were, I was convinced that there were angel wings coming out of my back and um, all all of this, th- that's the thing is these are my real memories and now that I know that wasn't actually happening, it's just a strange, a strange feeling to know that to me that was, that was real that Your was reality. the truth yeah. right it was and I kept saying that, yeah. that during this entire process I
2: said this is very real to her I mean she she is reacting and doing things
1: because she believes what she's seen and what her brain is telling her she's reacting the way Brittany would, Brittany react, react, would react if those things yes. were actually happening but those things weren't actually happening
0: yeah. Tracy were you aware of at At that point, I mean, that she thought she had wings and a 12-year-old boy living inside of her?
2: Brittany was at school. She had done an internship in Boston and came back, uh, moved herself in. We were texting back and forth, and she was separating herself from us. She was at school, and we knew something was up, and we'd already drug tested her. She She was in school, and in the middle of one morning, I received, you know, part of her pressured speech was, She has to communicate. And I got text after text after text after text. And I mean, the Indians are coming home. I mean, it was just nonsense, jargon. I mean, just gobbled up mess. And in the middle of it was, Mom, I'm scared. Help me. And I got my keys and went to OSU. And when I got to OSU,
1: Brittany was at a meeting. She said, I'll be there in a minute, Mom. I was at a meeting. And I had gathered all of the campus leaders into one room and explained this drawing to them, which is what she's referring to. It was my realization that I had to save the world. And everything, it's like everything you know becomes just convoluted and everything meshes together. And that's why I text my mom because I wanted to share my plan to save the world with her. Like she's the one that's always said, You can change the world. And I thought she was gonna be on board to help me. And then she arrived. Hmm. Yeah. And my stepdad came shortly after her. And that's Well the I think the, the
2: defining moment in it was when I pulled up in my car to meet her and Brittany came around the corner and got out of this is when I cry every time. When she got out of her car and I thought, I don't I don't know you. Where's my daughter? I mean, it was just a, such a, a total change. And then yet she was still there. And I followed her into an apartment thinking I was walking into my daughter that was, you know, a little bit OCD and like <laughs> things, you know, orderly and in fashion or whatever to a chaotic mess where she had written on the walls and things were and in mattresses disarray. Were standing. And up. It was the most bizarre thing. And at that my husband is a physician. He was already on his way because I said, Claire, I think she has a brain tumor. I don't know what's going on, but something something bad is happening. You need to come. And he came in after me and said, he had a short rotation with psych at OU Medical. And he said, I it's, I think she has bipolar. And he said that to me. And then to Brittany said, "You're we're getting you help and you can come with us now or we're going to, Call somebody to come and get you, but this is—we're going to take care of this. We went to Deaconess, and they admitted her to the Deaconess um, Mental Health Facility, and she was there for two weeks, released, and then they suggested their, that go yeah, back to school. They recommended that she go back to school, and of course, we're going—we don't think this is a—we don't think this is a great idea.
1: And she went back to school, and the medicine they gave me wasn't enough, and so it continued to progress. And it got to the point where I couldn't focus on anything long enough to even be able to count my medicine. I couldn't... And nor did she want to take it because she felt great. Right. I couldn't keep it straight and I couldn't tell how much I was supposed to be on. And so it just kept going and going. And my mom was worried and I was mad at her for being worried. And so one day I was like, just come up to Stillwater and see what I do every day. And this will, you'll, you'll see. And that was, uh, she saw exactly what I didn't want her to see. So I, I had asked for a business or I'd asked for an office in the business building. (laughs) So I learned, I learned a few things, which is, you know, you can be Pretty bold, and sometimes it works. <laughs> and did they give
0: you an office? They gave
1: me an office. Wait, you were a
0: student at OSU, oh, and She you had asked... a position at—I okay. mean,
2: she rested on her laurels, and that that's the most confusing thing about this, is that she had worked very hard to have her place in the entrepreneurship college, was, you know, helping to write the sustainability degree that would be there. So they believed her. I mean, they didn't know she was suffering from this any more than we did. So when she right. said something, she— you know, she was coming off of yeah. six months of having been okay. So
1: I had this office, and I had slowly started to accumulate everything. I brought everything from my parents' house in Edmund because I was wanted to get as far away from them as I could because it felt like they were holding me back. So I had, I had um, I found every colored pencil and marker in their house and took them, and I had lined them all up by by color, like, all the way across the room, stuff like that. Like, I if this is blue and that's blue, those need to go next to each other. But that's a straight line and that's a straight line, so those things need to go together. It got to where I couldn't keep anything straight.
2: Because the chemicals in her brain were messed up.
0: At any point during all of this, did you feel like, this isn't right, I'm... Something is going on here.
1: So it was that night that my mom came up to Stillwater, and that was that was the next break. I showed her my office, and then I put her to bed because I was in charge. And I went across the room, and I went across the hallway to this other dorm, and I was talking to a new friend, and I started explaining how parallel universes work, which. I know nothing about parallel universes, but I had full confidence that I knew, (laughs) I knew and I was preaching it. And then I thought that I was an angel and this guy was Jesus and I was talking to him. And for the first time in three months, I got scared and it was, a—I mean, it was like an aha moment, like something isn't right. And that's- I picked up on that way before this. Right. (laughs) But that's, and that's the one thing that, held me to thinking that something might not be right was because my mom and I, we had never, our relationship had never been in that state. And even when I was younger, like I would get in trouble and I would be mad that I was in trouble, but I I could see the bigger picture and I knew why I was in trouble. During this, I've never, I've never disagreed with her in the way that I did then. So for her to think something was wrong with me is the one thing I held on to. So when I got scared. I went across the hallway, and they had been they had been looking into Menninger Hospital in Houston, Texas. And I told them I would go, but it was going to take two weeks. And my mom was like, "How am I going to stay up here for two weeks and hide oh, behind going <laughs> home?" Yeah, yeah. So I went, I went over, and I said, "We we need to go to that hospital now." And we did. And we did. And on the airplane is when I had my highest acute episode. Um, I tried to harness solar power through my bun on my head. Uh, because someone had just said, "Oh, your hair in, in that bun looks like an antenna," and my iPod was dying, so I was like, "I'm gonna put my iPod on my antenna." So that's I- just
2: that is so interesting to me, and has given me such empathy for people that are out there that these situations occur in. And it never before in my life had I associated mental illness with something that was physically. Going on in their brain. I thought that mental illness was the result of poor upbringing, or mental illness was the result of a head injury, or mental illness was something outside of just a change in the chemicals in your brain and the way that your
1: brain functions. And I was pretty much a case study to disprove that pool of thought.
0: Yeah. But, and, uh, let me just re- redirect here. We're we're on an airplane. We're coming from, from Oklahoma. You've determined that you need help and you need to go to this hospital right now. And so mom, Tracy, is is with you. You're on the plane and then you have determined that your, your hair, the bun on top of your head is a solar antenna. Is, is right. that correct?
1: I thought so many things throughout the day. I thought we were, I thought it was a special airplane for people like me. And then they all had a guardian, like my mom, that was accompanying us. And And our our intention,
2: my intention the whole time was just trying to get her to care. And since she was over 18, she had to check herself in. You cannot just put somebody into a mental health facility. If they're 18, they have to be aware enough to check themselves in or they have to get mandated by, by the Police department, or the sheriff, or
1: something. Right. So I was just trying to get her to help. And that morning, she had said, "Whatever, just just be yourself. Just be yourself." And I was myself. If I thought that I could really harness solar power, I was gonna try to do it. And and that's what I thought that day. So we um, we got on the airplane, and I start noticing people falling asleep. And then I think, oh, those are the people's guardians, and they're all falling asleep, and they want us to get up and talk to each other and come up with ideas because I had ideas at the wazoo. And you sure can imagine how that
2: went over on the airplane. I'm sure. Yeah.
1: Yes. So also I developed a serious tolerance to alcohol because we know that alcohol is a depressant. So I had to drink enough alcohol to even to slow my brain down enough to have conversations. So I ordered a beer on the airplane. While I had dozed off. Yeah. She she <laughs> dozed and I thought that was all part of the plan. Oh, that. Like they put something in their drinks or (laughs) something, but this is all part of a master plan. So I got a beer, and that's you know terrifying. And um, yeah, because it's it's nine—it's like nine thirty
2: a.m. I'm thinking, where did you get a beer at nine thirty? Who's drinking beer at nine thirty?
1: So my iPod earlier that day had died, and then I went outside, or it hadn't died yet, but it was beeping like it was going to die, and I thought that it had. I know this now. And I went outside, and in my mind, it had solar-powered itself then. And so when I started dying on the airplane, I thought, oh, I'm closer to the sun right now. So this is going to be way easier just to power my electronic. So that's, like I said, I put my hair on top of my head, my antenna, someone called it. And I put all these breads, and I took all my jewelry off and put all the metal pieces in my hair, and then I found these napkins, if you know, Southwest napkins have a drawing of the nation and they have all of their stops on there. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to put that napkin on my hair too because I'm going to harness all of the energy from all of those places. I started pushing on my face because I had, you know, my hygiene had Gone so south that I had these is on my face, and so in my head I was thinking I'm gonna push on them, and it's gonna go to my head, and then all of that energy is gonna go to my hair. It's
2: the strangest connections. Yeah,
1: and so I I felt like I had to do it. Like I was so close to harnessing solar power that, like Einstein, like he read like all of the greats. They risked a lot, but they accomplished what they knew they could do, and that was so real to me. So I went into the bathroom. And I had been studying solar power and and you know, sustainability, sustainable efforts. And then I got mad at the world for being so wasteful. And so I thought, oh, I'll connect. I'll throw napkins down the toilet so we create a trail all the way to the earth where all the waste is. And so it will be a trail from the waste to the plane to my hair to the sun.
0: Okay. And Tracy, you were asleep. No, while all this is going on, or she
1: is in the she had gotten up, gone to the
2: restroom, and then she was probably in there five minutes. And I kept thinking, okay, she's you know she's just taking some time. It's good. And then the stewardess came. We were three quarters of the way back on the plane, and the stewardess came and she said, "Your daughter is in the restroom screaming." So we went back and. Knocked on the door, Brittany, you need to come out. I'll be there in just a minute. And then we heard all this banging and stuff. And the sort of said, You need to step away. We're gonna take the door off. And then it just escalated. And they got the door off. And, and Brittany I remember was half,
1: I remember opening the door and walking to the front of the plane. But they what actually, actually they happened. Physically
2: took the door off and Brittany jets out to the front of the plane and tries to grab the microphone. And I, thankfully he was a big a big man. He was an angel. He was, a, well, for sure, without a doubt, a big man who wasn't gonna have it. And Brittany said, "I, I just want to tell everybody that it's gonna be okay." And she's screaming. I mean, it's not a. I walked slowly up to the front. You know, everybody, stay calm. She's screaming. Pull your antennas up. And I mean, people are frightened. And yeah, I'm thinking, I can well, I'm thinking there's a, a air marshal on here, and I'm gonna watch either my daughter get shot or. They're going to taser her, and Arrested. I was thinking, I'll taser. her. I mean, you know, something's got to happen. And, and I have
0: to think that, uh, I mean, in the midst of all of this, Tracy, I mean, oh. you can't be rational enough to try to explain what's going on. She can, can say,
1: we're on our way to the hospital. We're on our way to the hospital. She's been diagnosed bipolar, and I'm sitting next to her saying, I'm not bipolar. I don't have bipolar. Put the F down and profanities oh, that—
2: goes. I never in our family. I mean, I'd never heard my daughter roll off profanities like that. And all I kept thinking was, I, if I could just get her to Houston, there's you know, there's people there that have dealt with this because I didn't, I didn't
1: know. I mean, I just I didn't,
2: I but, didn't know. What
1: was great was the turns out the Houston Police Department that is at the airport and all of Southwest Airlines they were trained for that, and they handled it with pure grace. They created a circle around me once we got into the airport so that I couldn't run away or, or hurt anyone. But before I even got to the airport or before we landed, um, well, the, may I?
2: Yeah. The result was Brittany was walked back to her seat with her hands over her head and the steward stayed there with her. They landed the plane. They asked everybody to keep their heads down. I mean, there were kids crying. I mean, it was a very frightening for, for all, all of us. And, um, they escorted us off. Brittany took off running to the door of the jetway and was banging on the door. And At that the, point, the I thought, thought it was stirred. a
1: surprise party for me. And I was like, okay, I want the surprise to be over. I want the surprise to be over. Like, just let me out because they, they had blocked the the tarmac to the actual airport because they were getting all of the people ready for me. They were getting the ENT and everyone yeah. out there. Right. And when I walked out, I started screaming for everyone that this thought was funny. there. I mean, her, her
2: mind had left her, and the Houston Police Department was there. They, we were put in a police car. Thankfully, the Houston Police Department showed mercy on us and took us to the healthcare care facility, the mental health care facility. In, in Otherwise, the, I don't know how we would have gotten her there.
1: In the car. Well, when we got into the airport, I was screaming for all these people that I thought were going to be there for this surprise party. And that's part of the egotism that – evolved so much that you think literally everything revolves around me. Everyone in this airport knows me and it's all for me. And I was zip tied first and then handcuffed and then hog tied because I couldn't, I could not control my body. I could not sit still. Like there was just so much energy. And she
2: was scared because it made no sense. She's like, I'm here for a party. Why are you, why am I getting in a police car? So it was awful.
1: And, uh, Once we got into the police car, I'm hogtied and handcuffed and seatbelted in. Then I thought it was a military test, and my test was to get out of the car flying down the Houston freeway.
2: I did. I thought I I was going to watch her. I mean, she was trying every which way to get out of the car. I mean, with her mouth trying to unlock the door to get out, and we're struggling in the back and the— and my the mom's police mom's trying, to, trying to get us there.
1: She's she's trying to call me down, and I am just furious at her for even talking because my mind was going so fast that anything anyone said was like I I I can't even comprehend. Like stop talking because my my brain can't hold anything else.
2: And I do. I I was so physically exhausted and so weary that I and I've told Brittany this several times. I had that moment of. Sorry. Take your time. I had that moment of that prayer of if... First of all, I didn't think... I knew I wasn't going to watch her die. and But I thought, God, if you are coming soon, if you could just come right now and take us away, that would be... Please do it. Come and, come and
1: get us, because I don't
2: think I can do this. I don't
1: think I can watch this. That was like the final mile... And we, I couldn't get out of the police car, <laughs> luckily, um, but I know without a doubt that if I could have unlocked that door,
0: you would have jumped out of the car. I would car have out, at out of 65, the car. 70 miles, right? Right. No doubt. Hour. Because
1: t- I no doubt. was being tested by West Point. That was because I had just filled out this online application, <laughs> and they had asked me something about the army. And so that that memory again was. Up there with every other thought, and I couldn't keep them all straight. So that's where the military came What was just real and what in. wasn't yeah. real?
0: It's it's such an incredible story. I have to ask Brittany, as you tell it, have you been told this is what happened? I mean, how are your memories for that?
1: It's a very good question. That, that took a while. Yeah, it took it took a long time, and we couldn't even talk about what happened that day for about three months afterwards. Um, we, I had moved back home, but we just couldn't, we couldn't go there yet, but I try to make it a point that this is what I remember. And now I know this is what actually happened. And I think it's important for me not to forget what happened in my eyes, because that's what makes it just unbelievable that those people looked this way, but actually they looked this way. I thought I said, I'm sorry the whole time on the airplane, but I didn't say that one time. Um, my memories are completely different from hers so at about three months like i said we sat down and i told her everything that happened that day and she just let me tell it exactly like i remember it and at the end she said that's not what happened and there were just concrete physical things that i had that i thought happened that didn't you know all of this comes any kind of perspective comes from time and medication a medication That's an important. And medication that
2: is takes a, time. We would be remiss in not saying that it is it is medication and then being being on medication enough to have um insight because you lose your insight to yourself and your, you think you don't need the medication. The
1: brain can't comprehend it because it's
2: not right. in a state to. Right. So that comes with adequate medication. Yeah.
0: So you, you got to the hospital, and, and I, I have to assume that was the, all of this was the pinnacle moment mm-hmm. in all of this, and you get to the hospital, and what happens? Well,
2: well, like 10 minutes before we arrived, the hospital called because they were expecting us because I'd, I had a taxi a and night. told them it was a Friday night, and they said, where are you? I said, we are actually, we had an episode on the airplane. We're almost there. Um, the police are bringing us, and the lady said... Well, you know, we can't accept her if she doesn't walk in of her own volition. And I thought, oh, well, we're toast because there's no way she's walking in. And I'm not sure I can catch her if she takes off running. And, I mean, five minutes from the airport, I grabbed her by her shirt and looked her in the eyes. I said, this is it. This is
1: what you wanted. This I said, is what you, you, said you, you wanted. wanted to
2: be here. This is it. Your life is about to go down and entirely different road and it's up to you you gotta you gotta pull it together and and walk in there and get the help you said you wanted and she said fix my hair I said okay (laughs) and that was and she got out of the car and there was a moment they were all standing there and there's a moment I thought she's gonna run
1: and she looked at me and I got out of the car and I put my hair back on top of my head and in my bun that I always wore, my antenna, and I did a few twirls around. I walked away from the car a little bit, danced around for a little bit, and then I walked in. And at that point, I thought that this was a facility that my parents had bought for me, and I was going to teach everyone how to sing. I don't sing. Like I was going to teach people how to dance and how oh, yeah. physics worked. And this was like my place. And, and at this
2: point, I just wanted her, I wanted her across the threshold.
1: Right. That so was that. We go into the exam room and I think it's my office. <laughs> and in fact, it's the psychiatrist slash neurologist office. And I start reorganizing his desk and I'm still very, very high. And within three minutes when he walked in, he said, well, you're clearly in an acute." episode of a manic attack and you have bipolar one and these people at Menninger, that, that like, this was a last resort for us. And it isn't like most care facilities. It's a private institution. It wasn't a
2: last resort. It was what, it's what we knew from, it's what I knew from going to support group. I mean, I immediately started going to support group at crossings. I mean, that was.
0: So I have to ask, I mean, because you said that they would not take her unless she came in under her own volition you hear and see on movies the horror stories of you know i'm going to have my crazy aunt committed right. and all of this stuff but this is a real thing i mean she's just had this this manic episode on an airplane where they've you, they've had to restrain her they've surrounded her in the airport put her in a police car hog-tied her she's been trying to escape from the police car and the hospital saying we can't take her unless she comes in of her own free will i don't even understand how that is possible so
1: there's the the public, the state health... If it's not a private institution, you can be detained. And it's it's EOD, Emergency Order of Detainment. This facility... But that does compl- not come
2: from a person. That comes from the hospital staff, a, a police officer. I mean, they have to... They, they run a, a mental evaluation on them and then say they're a danger to themselves or to or others. others. You're getting detained. Um, you can't just bring your child to, you know, you can't check somebody in and say, keep them for two weeks. and.
1: So they took me that first time when they came up to Stillwater and saw my apartment, they took me to the emergency room. And there, there were two doctors who did a psych eval. And both of them confirmed that I should be detained. So at that point, I was detained in the emergency room. And then, and they sent me to the psychiatric ward. And then they do another psych, psych test. And then they can dub you they're voluntary or also detained. And I thought I was there voluntary. So I'm around telling everyone, Oh no, I'm, I just want to be here, but I was totally detained also there. Um, and so that, that's how it would work. If you had a manic episode in public, you would be detained because and, you're and at a risk. Right. And oftentimes that's
2: the only way for someone to get care is that they have to
1: get that high. They have to
2: run into the, the law and, and the, Police have to say, you're you're a threat, we're detaining you. And that that has given me a a lot of empathy and sympathy for those people that are on the, the street are past the point of seeking help for themselves yeah. and can't get there.
0: Well and, and at this point I think we need to mention um 2.6% of the American population suffers from bipolar disorder.
2: That we know of.
0: That we know of. Diagnosed. 51% of those, as I understand it, don't get any kind of help, aren't oh, even yeah. diagnosed. I mean, so that's over half of that population that is not getting any help. But the the kicker to all of that is there is not, as I understand it, a cure for this. So where does that put you now, Brittany? I mean, how have have the last several years been for you and and how do you manage?
1: So at Menninger, they had a team around each patient and my psychiatrist was also a neurologist. And you are there for two weeks. If you're in the evaluation program, you're there for two weeks and they do every physical test and every psychological test. So you do the MMPI-1, the MMPI-2 they do a basic physical. They do an EKG, an MRI, and they try to rule out anything that could be physical. And if it's not that, then they go to the psychological side. And you are all in there. You're uh, the, the neurologist, the psychologist, psychiatrist, nurse. All of them are in one room. And you, at, at this hospital, you develop a plan of attack. Like this is, this is what it is. And this is how much medication we think you should be on right now, uh, and it, your family is involved, and you develop a plan, a sustainable plan. Whereas, like she mentioned about the first hospital, it was like just send her back to school, and that was that was no, I wasn't equipped with any yeah, information. That didn't work very right. well. Right, right. Um, but that's the most common treatment for it. I mean,
2: it's not lost on us that we were able to take her to a private facility and get all this work done. But that's not a common. It's not the norm that's not the norm and medication is expensive. I mean there's a yeah. huge expense to antipsychotic drugs and everything that goes along with it. So I mean you're fighting, you know, that bat- that battle financially with someone that's already distressed, that's already in crisis and to uh, the impact on the family or the only real chance of getting taken care of. I mean they're caretakers too. I mean it's a
0: Yeah. And and, and then we're making the assumption that, you know, people have family, have a mother that is concerned enough for them to recognize the changes and be willing to do something about it.
2: Right. Right. And that's not always the, I mean, that's not the case. Yeah.
0: Why tell this story? I mean, it's so, people may be listening and just thinking, this is so outrageous. Why would you want to tell these things about yourself? Why, why would you, why do you do this?
1: There is a great quote that says, at the end of my life, I hope that I would be able to stand at the foot of God and say, I've used everything you gave me. And he gave us this experience and it's not the burden that you carry, but the way you carry it, why not tell it? You You don't hear about this side of, you don't hear about mania often and you don't hear about the success stories. You hear about the people who, are just who are crazy or who are, you know, she's bipolar. That's what you hear about. Time and medicine are the keys in in your family. Um, And all of those are interconnected. And And getting past the the shame of it. I mean, there's a lot of, you
2: know, with mental health and those choices or actions that happen when your brain is sick are embarrassing. I mean, and it's not you at your best and it's hard on your family and, You don't always remember what happened and and it strains relationships. And you want it, once you get past that and on to recovery, you don't want to relive it.
1: That's a very important point that I had a, a huge aha moment when I had been on meds long enough. And the only reason I stayed on the meds was because she, in the midst of a breakdown for me, I said, I don't want to be on the medication. I feel like I never had a choice. Like I was forced into this. And she said, Okay, I see that right now you're not in a position to make the decision to be off of medication. But if we give this time, if we give these drugs time to see what they can do, and if you still don't want to be on them, then I'll hold your hand and we'll get off of them. So to me, that was like, okay, I am, I do have a sense of control in this. And it's that time, like drugs need time to do what they can do and you have to be you have to be able to stay on them and what people don't don't like about being on meds is it when it takes that highway but also for me I fell into a depression right after because my brain and my body would were exhausted you know I wasn't eating and I wasn't sleeping because my mind wouldn't stop and I would forget about eating so my body was you know had to had to recover I've been on um I was put on an antipsychotic, which brought me all the way down. And then I have a fantastic doctor, which is another key component. Um, And I still, for a long time, I still wanted to go back. I still wanted to feel that again. And that's what. You face is that temptation of if I don't take my medicine, maybe I'll feel that again.
0: Yeah, I have to imagine that. I mean, like a drug user, if sure. you experience these these things and these this um, this grandeur and and everything that goes along with that, that it would be something that you yep. crave or can become addicted to.
1: Absolutely. And what's so hard is when you're feeling like that, people. You'll, you hear people say, you know, you're not being normal. You're not being normal. and We were raised to be okay with not being the norm. So you're like, you know, I don't, I don't care. I'm not your normal. That's fine. Then whenever a doctor said, we're not trying to get you to be normal. We're trying to get you to be your best natural self. When they said natural versus normal, it made complete sense to me. And she said, we can get you to feeling your best. And you'll still feel those moments of overwhelming joy, this is what my mom told me, she assured me that I would still feel that excitement and that thrill and overwhelming joy to the point of tears. I would still feel that, but it just wouldn't be all the time. And I have felt those moments. And if you don't have a doctor who's willing and, and able, and if you're not completely honest with them, then you do become just, you know, you become stable, but you can you can thrive it's that, your brain is in its natural state, right?
2: Her, I mean, she takes less medication, of course, than she did in the beginning. Um, but I'm okay so with
1: goes to therapy, which is a huge component. Um, yeah, I
0: was going to ask a about that. Huge component.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and realizing, you know, it takes a lot of the embarrassment and the shame out of it when you can actually make that connection. That, like she said earlier, your brain is an organ. It's so hard to comprehend, but your brain is just like your liver and this is just like diabetes and you don't shame people for taking insulin when they have diabetes and you also don't call people cancer when they have cancer they they're not cancer just like I'm not bipolar but I have bipolar it doesn't have to be all of me but it's a definite part of me and it's something that it's something this I mean this I was given it I'm I'm sure because there are people out there who who need to hear it? When we, if we had heard this, it would have changed everything. We kept,
2: I kept thinking, why? Why didn't we know about this? Why? How could we not know that this was this was out there? And and a lot of you know, one of the great things that has come from this is know your family history. You know, I have an aunt that was bipolar that I never knew about because and, our family
1: was in denial. Sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, but, you know, bipolar is a combination of mood disorders that all end up genetically in one person. And so if you have, you know, Brittany had an eating disorder, I had an eating disorder, um, with depression in our family. Um, if you have mood disorders in your family, you you may be at risk. And that's something to know and something to tell your kids, especially going into college, and what those triggers are, illicit drug use, energy drinks. I mean, that is a known... That is as much a known trigger as drugs and alcohol, Uh, not sleeping, stress, Um, you know, the stress of a new, a new job or something that's out of the ordinary can trigger this disease. And I mean, know your family history. I didn't. And I think that would have, I don't know that that would have helped me, but it would have, it would have helped me. Yeah. It, it absolutely would have
0: happened. And one of the interesting things, and I, I think we touched on it earlier, but uh, this manifests itself between the ages of 18 and, and 25 most of the time.
1: Which are the ages that you need or you think you need energy drinks to study for class and you stay up late studying for class and then you go out and party and you don't sleep. And all of these things. It's that, a recipe
2: for disaster recipe, if you have it yeah. Yeah. in your
1: family. And it, like she said, it's the, it's the time of your life where you do start to – become your own person and you, de- you do start to separate yourself from the people that naturally. I know you and, you and know, th- I know your pattern. That's the thing is they, you know, they've always wanted that. And this wasn't like, this wasn't that. It wasn't a normal departure. Yeah.
0: Tracy, you've, you've alluded a, a couple of times, but how much has faith um, uh-huh. helped you through <laughs> all of this?
2: <laughs> yeah. It's all of it. I mean, I don't, I mean, faith on, on so many levels to, to, it's so hard to put that into words because I, there were, gosh, that gets me too. There were times that I thought if I, I just, when Brittany was in the hospital, I thought if I can just get myself together enough to get my kids to school so that I could get home and get on my knees.
0: Yeah. Sorry. No. But your prayers it, were answered. I mean, she in, it, it in, had to have been difficult. Uh, I can't even right. imagine not, the difficulty not easy. in life.
2: Not, there wasn't anything easy about it, but always knowing that it wasn't, you know, we weren't alone, that this was part of something I didn't understand. Um, it doesn't make it easy. I mean, it, it, we're not promised an easy life. That's not, you know, and it was never why you know, why us? Why don't, you know, we don't understand. And we've made the point before that, you know, prior to this, we weren't, I mean, we'd had some hardships in our life. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a, um, you know, my husband was burned on his 21st birthday. I suffered, you know, from cancer and went through chemo and lost the twins that I was carrying. So we felt, I mean, we felt like we could do tough things, but I can tell you nothing prepared us for this. I mean, it's just, it impacted our whole our whole family. It, of course, brought us together in ways that we never thought possible, and it's opened the doors in so many ways. And it is is—it is a faith. It's a faith that
1: God is with us. And, and I mean, I came out relatively unscathed from the whole situation. I, mean, I was walking Boston when I was there for my internship that summer. I was walking Boston by myself, at four in the morning, and I would wake up places I I had never been, but there was, I wasn't scared. I should have been scared in these situations, but we know without a doubt, we can identify people throughout that time that
0: were, our journey. were
1: angels. They had to be angels. And I was, for some reason, surrounded and I mean, it's the only way that I could could be and here and to works. tell this story. I mean, story. That's,
2: you you know, you pray for your children's safety, and you you pray that they're gonna walk in the. I mean, you just it it solidifies what you already know. I mean, you
1: you. I'm not very. I'm not articulating very well. No, I think you're doing that, a great job. So my like she she mentioned her husband, my stepdad was burned on his 21st birthday, over 75% of his body were third degree burns. And he was given a 2% chance to live. And so, you know, the golden question is always, well, did that just change your whole perspective on life? And I asked him that when I was relatively young. And his response then was, no, it just solidified everything I knew to be true. And I would say the same thing here. I mean, we've learned the science behind the disease and we've learned the missing information that that needs to be shared but it just reinforced what we knew to be true and that everything there's a bigger picture and it's not always all about you and sometimes things hurt because there's you know it's, there's a bigger it's, plan yeah, if it's not okay then it's not the end
0: so what's the plan from from here i mean you have a, a successful business you guys are are doing great in oklahoma city but you're telling this story more it seems
2: well i think i think by tell by telling the story we are everyday people that it reduces stigma. And I think people do not seek treatment. And I think families, it is hard to seek treatment when there's a stigma around it. Brittany has a mental illness. She takes medication for it. Period. Period. <laughs> I mean that's that's it. And it it's there are horrific stories. There are horrible endings to things, but it's not all like that. And there is treatment out there and there is healing and
1: there's great hope. I I think. Well, I'm, I know we'll tell the story to anyone who will listen.
2: And we think I there's a there's a cure coming. I mean, with the big biobanks and the processing
1: of information, um, it's coming. And I, I think the biggest thing we can do now is to carry on our normal lives. And it didn't it didn't change it didn't change the entire way we function. And to to show that you can come back from it, and it doesn't have to be your whole life. I think that's a testimony in and of itself of treatment and being on well medicine cut. and giving yeah. it the time. So we're I mean we're not victim of anything and we're not I don't think we've ever played that card. So we're going to continue to to do our best. <laughs> to do out. our best and yeah, anyone who'll listen.
0: Well, I appreciate you being willing to come on the OKC show and share your story. Um, the bravery that it takes to to do that and I appreciate that you you do have that courage to to be able to share this and not hide it and And to try to help other people um, Through your story. I think it's really important Um, If you want to know more about bipolar disorder, of course if you can get on your Google machine You'll get all kinds of things Uh, the Mayo Clinic website has information on bipolar disorder And uh, also, uh, TreatmentAdvocacyCenter.org has information on bipolar disorder, and you can learn more about it there. But uh, as Tracy and Brittany mentioned, know your family's history, know their personality, so you can recognize those changes when they are dramatic.
1: Amen. Seek help. Yep. Get sleep. Sleep is important, one. yes. Okay. No energy it, drinks. And stay off the energy drinks. Yeah, energy yeah. Well,
0: I'm glad I quit drinking yeah. those. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can find out more about Brittany and Tracy and Plenty Mercantile at plentymercantile.com. And check it yeah. out and go by the store, which is located in Automobile Alley in downtown Oklahoma City, right on Broadway. What's the address?
1: 807. We're on the west side of Broadway.
0: Yeah, you can't miss it. they got a cool truck in, in there and uh, all kinds of other stuff.
1: Stop in and say hello.
0: <laughs> Thank you for listening. This is The OKC Show. I'm Jason Baffrey. We are out of here.
1: The OKC Show is a
0: production of Destiny Creative.